The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. That's the thing. Like, you don't have to do the same thing I do, but if I can provide you something that makes you grow and you want to grow and you use it appropriately, like, why wouldn't I uh, give you whatever I can to, to help you in that area? We all know from probably the earliest age that promises are important, that if you make a promise to someone, you keep it no matter what. It's binding. It's vital. That's your word. That's your bond. It's a promise. So if you tell someone you're going to do something, you do it. But what about the promises we make to ourselves? Are those just as binding? Are those just as important? I'd argue that oftentimes those are the first promises that we break. And promise can also mean seeing potential in someone. Seeing what they could be, seeing what they could give the world. Do we stop and invest our time? and our energy, and our experience in them so they can realize that potential? I'll bet that most of the people listening to this do that. But what about our own potential? What about our own promise? Do we see it? Do we build it? Do we recognize how we have the ability to lift ourselves and others? I'll bet not as many of us do that. So at the January meeting of Creative Morning Charlotte, we asked local artist and activist Irisol Consoles to tell us her story about the word promise. Man, did she have a story to tell. She's someone who moved to Hickory, North Carolina from Costa Rica, not speaking English when she was 10. She was a young woman of incredible promise and potential, and thankfully, People along the way saw it, challenged her, invested in her, and set her on the right path. And now she's doing that for others, be they emerging artists or communities in Charlotte that need to recognize their value to this city, their importance to our life here. Oftentimes, these are individuals and communities that have been overlooked. And when you're overlooked enough and when your potential is wasted, sometimes that's how you define yourself. Edisol won't have that. She invests in other people as she has been invested in. And she makes promises to them that she will help and she keeps them. But more importantly, she made a promise to herself that she would be a successful full-time artist. And she is. She keeps that promise every day. And that's what she shared with us and with our audience at the January meeting of Creative Morning Charlotte. So this is Tim Miner. And I am really excited to bring you this batch of the Creative Mornings Rewind, a conversation with Edisol Consolas about the promise others saw in her and the promises she's made and kept to herself. And now I need you to make a promise to yourself. Listen to this podcast, then follow Edisol and support her. Get involved with what she's doing. I promise you, you will not regret it. All 
right, for those of you listening, this is not my first attempt at making an intro to this. I just, uh, I've been smiling since uh, the recording started because Irisol Gonzalez is one of my absolute favorite creatives in the Queen City. Um, she lights me up every time I talk to her while at the same time challenging me to go further, do more, be more, ask more questions and get to know more people. And it's a privilege to kind of share her with you today. Um, she was the keynote speaker at the January meeting of Creative Morning Charlotte. And she spoke that morning on the topic of promise. Her talk incorporated so many relevant themes and universal truths about the need for encouragement, mentorship, the promises we make to others, and more importantly, the promises we make to ourselves. And so we're going to dive on in and just give Irisol a chance to Tell us a little bit more about the things that she couldn't shove into a 15 minute talk because her life is way bigger than that. And the themes that she covered are just very human and very cosmic. So it is so good to see you today. How are you? It's so good to see you. I'm doing great. I hope that you are as well. I'm doing really well. So for those that don't know you, and it's a shame if they don't, but today after this, they're going to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to in the, in the Queen City right now. So I am a fine artist and muralist here in the city. I am uh, currently pursuing some uh, work in the community through a fellowship that I'm doing with the League of Creative Interventionists. That is about as reductive an answer as I, as <laughs> I could wish because there is very, there are very few corners in Charlotte that you've not touched. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. You were very humble in your introduction to yourself, but um, tell us a little bit about your journey to the United States. How did you get here and specifically to, to Charlotte? What did your path look like? So I immigrated with my immediate family at the age of 10. Um, I came just with my parents and my my sister, and then my brother came in later. We immigrated to Hickory, North Carolina, if you're familiar with that area. It's right on the foothills of the mountains. Um, and uh, we lived there. I went to one year of elementary school, middle school, high school. And then I went to App State for my college where I did uh, psychology, political science. And then uh, after graduation, I came to, I came back to Hickory, was there for about a, for about a year. And then I got a job at a finance uh, company here in Charlotte. And then I came um, after that. I have to ask, I mean, I, now, first off, I love Hickory. So if there's anybody from Hickory on here, I'm, I'm not bad mouthing it. Um, I did a lot of work in that part of the state and, and kind of fell in love with the foothills. But that had to be a little bit of a culture shock to move to Hickory, a very small southern town and also not speaking English at that point. Yes, that, that was definitely a culture shock. Um, it was how can I put it? Um, I wasn't understood a lot in many ways, not only for my language barrier, but uh, also just in the traditions of the things that I had. And also because um, the community there isn't as inclusive, I guess you could say, of, of different uh, races. So it was it was a bit of a challenge, but it also that challenge, I, I believe, made me who I am today. I would. Does the fact that you came to the United States not speaking the language and being in a, in a city that maybe didn't or a community rather that didn't quite understand you and maybe wasn't that 
that open to hearing what you had to say anyway. Is that what kind of really drives you now? Because you are outspoken in the best possible way, not only about your opinions and, and your perspective on the world, but also really giving a voice to, to black and brown uh, women, especially. Is that, does that drive you? Definitely. I One of my first um, situations where I actually went for it and I was like, nah, like you're going to hear me. <laughs> it was in fifth grade. I couldn't speak English. So our teacher put up the students who did, who had, who were ESL students, that's English as a second language. Uh, she made us sit in the back of the classroom and just color all day. That's where I started coloring. And um, she, we wouldn't participate in any of the activities. So for that entire year, we didn't learn a thing. Like fifth grade, I don't know what happened. Like we would have uh, some ESL classes maybe once a week and then maybe a little bit of math, but then everything else we just were, I wouldn't say ignored, but basically. And so one time they were, they were reading out loud. So the class was happening right in front of us, right? We were in the back of the classroom in a table working and they kept reading out loud. And one day I was like, you know what? Like, I want to read out loud too. I don't know what I'm reading, but I raised my hand. I was like, I'm going to read. I have to listen to all of you read. And I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so you're going to listen to me read and not know what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, I raised my hand and I read, a, I read a whole page. And I remember that was the first time that I was like, no, I, I will be taken into consideration and we are not just back here doing nothing. And I think that's when it started kind of like the fight for like, I am here in this space, like I'm allowed to be in this space too. Wow. I think that calls to mind too. Some of the things I've heard you say just about those unconscious or invisible or passive aggressive barriers, right? You've talked about the difference between color, you know, creating art with a, with a crayon, and then you saw a teacher using Prismacolor pencils and you wanted to use them because there was a sense that that was more serious, right? That was, that was a step above crayons. Uh, and, and you had a mentor, a teacher who allowed you to do that. Can you talk a little bit about how, how foundational that experience was for you? Absolutely. So I already, he already celebrated, um, my artistic ability, I guess you could say. Um, and he, he tried to, he pushed me a lot. And so one time we were, the classroom was doing a, a project on color pencils and everybody else was using the Crayolas and I was about to use the Crayolas uh, color pencils. And the reason why the Prisma colors are also important is because I had a, an aunt who would travel to Costa Rica when I still lived in Costa Rica. And she bought Prisma colors for her, for my cousins. And she wouldn't let me use them because she said that they were, they were not to play with, that they were, you know, expensive or whatever. So I came, to, I come to the U.S., I'm in his class, and he lets me borrow his box of 132 color pencils, Prismacolor color pencils. And so I felt like he valued what I was doing. And to me, that was an enriching experience because he was giving me the tools to do it better. Um, so I used them and I did the best that I possibly could in that uh, task. And then the fact that after we finished uh, that project, he actually gave me the box so that I could continue to get better at it and to explore more with, with that uh, medium was very significant in terms of who he thought I could be. And um, I think that he solidified that idea that I had a space and that I could take up space and, and own it. I, th I think that there's this romantic notion. It's, it's very 
American of being a self-made man or woman. And, and that just seems like a myth. All of us need to be seen, heard, helped uh, along the way. How did that experience with that art teacher kind of, how has it resonated through your life? Because you're, you're a powerful artist and a powerful woman, but all of us need that help. All of us need to at least be acknowledged and, and shown our own worth. Yes, because it gets really tiring when you're the only one like pushing through. I, I always feel like breaking the ice. I guess you could say, you know, you see the ships breaking the ice and when it's you, like it gets exhausting. But when you have somebody there who can uh, show you the way to do it or believes that you can do it, kind of like your cheerleader, uh, it, it makes a difference. He was my cheerleader up until he passed away last year um, or the year before that was been a year. And he he always believed in, in what I could do. And even when I derailed from that, from the, my artistic direction, he always uh, was there to remind me that I did have this, this little thing that I could always go back to. And he reminded me that by always um, asking me about my practice or for my birthday, giving me like a sketchbook or something that would just keep that light on. And, and yeah, having somebody to, to cheer you on, to believe in you, regardless of whether you believe in yourself or not, it, it makes a huge difference. I want to, I want to explore in a minute that diversion that you took, right. That, 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 that other branch, that other Avenue that you, that you took before you embraced art and art activism as kind of your full-time job. But I've also seen that you've paid that forward. You've been a mentor. You know, now that you are in a place where you're recognized in Charlotte, you're getting opportunities. I've seen you pull other people along with you. How is that, you know, part of your journey? Why is that important to you to do for other people? I want to, I want to see what other people can do. I, it, it doesn't affect me in any way but positive to help somebody uh, reach their goals or reach their potential or find the thing that they're passionate about or not. Uh, so if I can be a resource and I, sometimes I get in trouble about this because I, I like to push people sometimes <laughs> um, and my, sometimes they're not ready. But for those who are ready and uh, they do want to continue, I yeah, use me use me up as, as much as I can. I can be of service because that um, makes you, when you grow, I grow too. I don't, I don't think that it takes away from me. If I can learn from you, if I can um, exchange ideas, if you know what you're doing better and I know what I'm doing better, then we can share ideas. We can, we can grow together. I don't, I do not believe that by keeping somebody ignorant or by keeping somebody below you, you're going to uh, get ahead. If anything, you're just like cutting yourself short. Yeah. And I mean, and you, it's not just people that do things similar to you, right? It's not, you're not just mentoring or, or sharing what you know with other mural artists or other visual artists. I mean, you've got a young photographer that you're helping out now, right? Yes. Yes. So this, okay. So I got to tell you about him. So I, I knew him when he was a kid and I have seen him consistently work on his photography and it has improved and he's been doing it for more than a year and a half. So for somebody and where he lives, the arts are not supported in any way. So for him to be doing this on his own, it was already like, oh, like I, I know what I know what you're doing. So last year I. Um, I just loved his images and I was like, Hey, are you, are you selling these images? And he was like, well, 
I've never been asked that. I was like, let me buy some and let me uh, support you in this way. And for him, and it was a huge deal for him in so many levels because uh, one, COVID was happening and that area of Costa Rica is all tourism. So it was beautiful for me to see him be the one supporting his family with his artistic talent when they just thought it was his hobby. And for him to be able to show them that he could do something with this uh, was beautiful. And the thing is, and this is what I appreciate about people like him is that he took the resources, not only the money, because then later uh, Cat Babby actually donated a camera, a digital camera, and we sent it and like we got him some more um, equipment and we sent it over to Costa Rica because before that he was taking images with his uh, phone, but he was like, I got the latest phone. So like it could be the best or whatever. But when he got the camera, this kid took off. So now he's taking pictures. Uh, like he's getting hired by uh, companies to do their photographs. He's getting uh, hired to do events. Um, and now he, and then I got him some classes because I was like, you're really good. But um, like, Learning is always important and you can always keep growing. And so I got him some classes and he's done so good in his classes. Like he has prepared for every class that even the teacher now has given him a scholarship to keep going um, because he's just taking advantage of all these opportunities that are given to him. That's the thing. Like you don't have to do the same thing I do, but if I can provide you with something that makes you grow and you want to grow and you use it appropriately, like why wouldn't I uh, give you whatever I can to, to help you in that area? And now he's buying his own equipment. And I would imagine <laughs> that down the line, he's going to take other creatives under his wing and pass along what he's learned. Right. And that's what I told him. He's like, I don't know why you're being so nice. I was like, listen, I was in your place at one point and I've had people believe in me and it has made all the difference. And some, at some point you're going to have somebody who is going to look up to you and you're going to have to be there too. And he was like, yeah, I can, I can do that. I was like, okay, just pass it on. That's it. <laughs> I think that story hits on two of my um, my favorite themes and what you really embody. I mean, one is that that creativity is and the and your creative promise, right? Getting back to what you talked about, um, many people think of that as a hobby, uh, but that is a, it is a career path, and it, but it needs to be nurtured, just like somebody who wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or a architect or, you know, uh, or a government official or what have you, right? It need they need to be mentored and, and shepherded and shown the path because he's helping to feed his family in a tough time with his work. I think the second thing is, um, I mean, it's related to the first and it's that you've got to move past the thing that you love if it's creative and, and get a real, you know, move into something more adult. And I know that you, you struggled with that, that you, as much as as art and your creative uh, abilities fed your soul, at a certain point you said, "Okay, it's time to get a real job and and be a real uh, a real adult." And thankfully, it didn't take. So, can you tell tell us a little bit about that diversion and how you came back to your passion and realizing this is my life path? It's my you know, it's my vocation and it's my avocation at the same time. Yes. So I went to college. I was the first one to go to college for my family. And I immigrated here with my parents and I saw all their sacrifices. I saw uh, my mom cry in, because her mother passed away and she couldn't go to Costa Rica to her funeral. I saw my dad uh, break his foot and not be able to stop going to work because he uh, he could not go to work. Right. Because he would have gotten fired. So he goes with a broken 
foot. Um, so I saw all the sacrifices that they did. And when I got to college, I, I was not about to take that for granted. So I was like, I have to make them proud, right? And so I, I wanted to do, and the thing is, this is all in my head. They never said to me, you have to be this or you have to be that. They're just like, go to college like you. And they, they understood that I got myself to college. They, they didn't, like my, my brain got me to college, right? So when I got there, I was going to do psychology, um, art therapy. And I thought that was more concrete and, and not like I was throwing away the education or the sacrifices that my parents had made to, to get me there. And then I got, as you know, I, I can talk. <laughs> so I got myself into uh, an internship in Congress and it was a, it was kind of a big deal. Um, and my, and then I, from then I was like, well, you know what, I could pursue this. I could make him even more proud if I could like get into this type of, um, field. And then I, I pursued psychology and political science because I thought I was probably going to go to law school and, and do some immigration uh, law. And then I graduated and, and found out that that wasn't I went I worked on a few different things and I just realized that my soul was dying and, uh, and that I needed to to get back to to the thing that I loved, or at least try it out. And the thing is that I, I, like I said at the talk, like I had told myself, or I had succeeded in these things that weren't my passion. So how could I make, let myself fail at the thing that, that I loved? And how could I not believe that if I gave it that, that 100% that it wasn't gonna work out? Well, you lead right into my next question, which was oftentimes I think we're so focused on the promises that we make to other people and not breaking them. Sometimes even invisible promises like you, you made a promise to your parents that you would be successful and make them proud, but they weren't pushing you into that into one arena or another. We focus on that, but how, how powerful and important are the promises that we make to ourselves? Cause in all of this work, I know you've made promises to Edisol about what you want to do with your life. Yes. So I've made myself, uh, so my biggest promise is that I'm going to make myself proud. If I can, if I made myself proud at the end of the day, I can go to sleep like a baby. Um, so if I do my part and what that means is I, I know what I have to do. And if I do my part, then everything else, whether it, it goes the way that I hope that it will or not, is beyond me. And then I can just let it be and surrender to whatever comes. Right. Um, so my promise to myself is, is that and, and to be in harmony with the things that I want, that my actions are. Uh, in the direction that I want. And I'm not deviating because of fear or because of uh, lack of focus. I, I want to make sure that I, I am the best person that I want to be or that who I believe I can be. That's my promise to me. Well, I have a feeling that if you're proud of yourself, your parents are proud of you too. Is, am I right in that? Yes. And the, oh, this is the best feeling because now I'm making them proud and they've been proud and they kept telling me this. But now I make them the other day. I had a teacher from I don't know if it's Minnesota, but she sent me a message and she she emailed me. She's like, I am teaching a Spanish literature AP class to my high school students based on your machismo series. So I'm basing the whatever they're reading on your series. And I read the letter to my mom and she wrote it in Spanish. And my mom started crying and I was like, my mission here is done. I am good to go. Like, this is, this is what it's all about. So <laughs> to be able to make her proud with the thing that I love, it's beyond, beyond my expectations. 
I, you know, it's, it is a universal truth that you can, we can never get too old, too successful or too self-assured to not feel that much better. If we hear our mom cry or our dad pat us on the back, right? It's, uh, yes. it's just, you never outgrow that. Thank goodness. And Tim, can I tell you something? So when I did the, the mural residency and I finished my first mural, my first big mural. I remember standing there and I even wrote about this because my dad came to see the mural and he was standing all proud and like taking pictures in front of it. And I remember thinking to myself, and this is, um, this is the one that is in South Mint and West Palmer. And it's what, like a, like, um, a block from the Panther Stadium. So it's a floral one with the with the with the bees and and the and the and the yeah the one with the bee and the and the uh, banana tree. And I remember standing there and thinking like this is and seeing my dad taking pictures in front of my mural. And this is the first time and he was so proud. And I was like, this is what it's all about. Like this is their sacrifice was not for me to be a lawyer. Their sacrifice was for me to do the thing that I love and be able to show it. And like, that was, that was like a whole moment for me. I think they're probably incredibly proud of what you're doing right now, which is blending your, your art and your skill with, uh, with community activism and with community engagement. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with, with the league of creative interventionists? Yes. So I, uh, I have proposed to do three murals and three predominantly Latin American uh, neighborhoods in Charlotte. And I've had uh, meetings with the community and we have discussed different locations and different themes. And uh, the beauty about this is that uh, the community is so excited. And when we had these meetings, everybody was uh, supportive and, and just very uh, hopeful about what could this could become. And so my idea is to create these murals is to bring not only attention to the attention to this communities from the artist, uh, from the artistic side of Charlotte, but to create a bridge, I guess you could say, as to like, come on into our communities, let's have something beautiful, let's have some public art that we can be proud of. It's something that represents us, not something that uh, somebody thinks we are, but this is who we are. And this is the way that we want to represent ourselves to, to Charlotte. I mean, and you're just at the beginning of that journey. Like it's, it, I can't even imagine what it's going to create. Uh, I mean, and you've done, you've, you've taken that most important step, which is you've invited people to be part of that, that process with you. Absolutely. I can't say I'm going to do a community, uh, community murals and then not invite anybody to have a voice into what they want to say. I'm going to be like, this is for your community. This is what I think you should have. No, like I need you to tell me, and this is what this is the message that I keep telling everyone that I talk to is use me up because what we what this is, I am just a let's call me a liaison between this organization that has the resources to bring into our communities and to make them better, to make them healthier, to make them more vibrant. Like let's just make sure that these resources that are available are used effectively. And that's why I am going a little bit beyond uh what I guess some other people may may think that this was about. But I see it as an opportunity to to better my community. So I'll do the work that it requires. I mean, but you you say that, but there are you and I both know that there are a lot of efforts that are 
that are poised as community facing efforts that don't involve the community, right? That, that is somebody thinking, this is what that community needs. I'm going to do this thing for them and I'm going to feel really good and they're going to feel really good. And there was no, there was no communication and nobody wins in that scenario. Right. And the thing is that these people who have great intentions uh, think they're solving a problem, but they never asked what the problem was. So you just created another problem. So my goal is to tell me your needs, tell me the problem and let me, let me use these resources to to do that with you not for you with you and that's another thing that whenever these murals actually start going up that i want people to come uh paint and it's i have artists who want to come paint i talk to girl scouts who want to come paint i've talked to students and college students it's just i feel like everybody's all all about it well so what do you think your art teacher would say if he saw what you're doing right now he'll be so proud sometimes it gets me really upset that he didn't get to see this part of it, but at least he saw the beginning of it. And he was super proud. I, I remember when he was uh, very ill, he would tell me that he would he was gonna try to come see my murals and see uh, what I was doing. He would always make sure to let me know how proud he was and that I kept doing uh, the thing and that he was just uh, my cheerleader. So I, I think, and I believe that, that uh, yeah, that he would be super proud. I, I think so, too. Well, how can people support you? What how can they learn more about you and get on board and and really, especially on these community facing projects in how can they help you in the right way, a way that is helpful? The best way. So right now, uh, although we had the community meetings um, and people discuss the themes that they want to see. I need the locations of the places where people think that these murals should go. Again, I don't want to come into your community and say, this is the best place for it. I need people to who live there to tell me, I believe that this would make the best impact, or I believe that uh, this place could be rehabilitated. Like we have so many opportunities to do so much that I want people to actually take it and make it their own. So yes, tell me locations and uh, join the Facebook group so you can join the discussions because I understand that people don't always have the ability to join the Zoom meetings, but uh, you can always comment like, what about this place? And what about um, this theme? And that's very helpful because right now my goal is to confirm locations by the next Zoom meeting so that um, we can have that all squared away. And if you're a business owner, or you own a business and um, oh, you, I mean, you own the property and you're able to make these types of decisions and you have a blank wall there, you're like, maybe you could do it here. That would also be very helpful. Save me a lot of um, <laughs> time. Yeah. That's a, I think uh, when people look and say, how long did it take you to, to do that mural? They, it, you really need to get into, well, it took me X number of days to paint it, but it took me X number of months to actually prep it and get it ready to go. This is the hardest part because I have to present the project to property owners and say, hey, this is at least I have the community to back up, be like, we want this here. Uh, so that's helpful. But just getting in contact with those people and getting in touch with who makes the decisions, that's that's going to be uh, trickier than the rest of the, um, the process, which would be the design and then organizing people to come paint. 
Well, we'll put um, all of the the links to your Instagram, you know, and website and all that, and the Facebook aspects of this project in the notes for this uh, for for this podcast. So, thank you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. I mean, you you continually surprise, and we're we're a very rich community for having you here. So, thanks oh. for spending some time talking about promises with me today. Thank you. Absolutely. I thoroughly believe in our individual promise and our collective promise. Thanks to Irisal Gonzalez for speaking with us. And most importantly, thank you, the listener, for tuning into the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourselves. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to The Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT. The Biscuit CLT Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Go of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.